Well, good morning. Welcome to Parkview Church and Scaffolding Company. Just kidding. I, th I figured some of you would think that I was about to roll out just an incredible sermon illustration where I would climb up on the scaffold and jump down and make a great point. Uh, but actually, Brandon and his team are doing some incredible work to sort of upgrade a few things that have been, been unattended to. So here we are. It's wonderful. We're in progress. And uh, I hope you've noticed that. Just some incredible things in the, in the area where we worship. Out here, some deacons doing some incredible work to make sure you're welcomed well and just seeing, seeing some really encouraging things around here. So, today, we're going to be in Luke 18 together. Luke 18. So, if you have a copy of God's Word, you turn there now. We're continuing our series in the parables of Jesus. And today, if I were to give one sort of thought or theme, it would just be that being a Christian is hard. Being a Christian is hard. How can we persist in discipleship to Jesus when hardship inevitably comes. That is what Jesus wants to teach us today through Luke 18. Being a Christian is hard. How can we persist? Let me read this passage for us. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God... Give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is God's word. It's good for us. Here's what I want us to hear. If I could send you home with one thing today, it would be this. Take heart and pray, because justice is coming. Take heart and pray, because justice is coming. We're going to be guided through this passage by the question that has haunted sufferers, and particularly Christian sufferers, for millennia, and that is simply, why? Why? First, this passage is going to teach us why disciples suffer. Then it's going to train us and teach us why disciples tend to lose heart. Why disciples suffer, why disciples lose heart, and then finally, the good news is it's going to teach us why disciples can persist, why we can persist. We want to be well-formed as disciples today. That's at the heart of who we are as a church, to be a whole church, forming whole disciples. God wants to form us through Luke 18 today. So let's ask him to do that by going to him in prayer. Lord, we need your word today. You alone have the words of life and this word, your word, revives our souls. Your word can bring light to our eyes. Your word can bring joy to our hearts. Your word makes us wise. Won't you please now fill me, just as we prayed, just as we sang, fill me now with your spirit to faithfully proclaim your word. 
and fill us, all of us, with your spirit so that we can faithfully receive your word, cherish it, and obey it. Do all this, we pray, for the glory of Jesus. Amen. As we said, first thing that this passage teaches us is why, why do disciples suffer? And the wonderful thing about this passage is that it is just delightfully clear. See that right there in verse 1. It says, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. There you go. That's, that's what Jesus wants us to do. He's made it very simple. Uh, the rest of the passage is Jesus kindly and mercifully explaining it to us with a wonderful illustration. How are we actually supposed to do that? And the first thing we have to realize is that when Jesus talks about losing heart in the midst of prayer, uh, always praying but not losing heart, he's not speaking to suffering in general. Generic suffering that sort of everyone on earth sort of inevitably goes through because of the kind of world that we live in with sickness and disease and death and all that kind of thing. Rather, he's speaking to the particular difficulty that Christians will face in the path of faithful discipleship to Jesus in our specific time in history. We see that if we just back up a little bit, it's hard for us to parachute into these parables because we inevitably lose a little bit of the context. So let's back up just a little bit to uh, chapter 17, verse 20. It says this, Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus is saying, he, the kingdom of God has come. I'm the true king. The kingdom of God is already here. You don't need to point and look and wonder, where is it? It's already here. And he said to the disciples, verse 22, the days are coming when you, you disciples, when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. It's one of Jesus' favorite nicknames he takes from the book of Daniel. You will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. Jesus is talking about the time when he will go away. He will be killed and he will ascend to the right hand of the Father where he now sits as we read this. He's talking about the fact that Jesus is going to leave and the kingdom of God is here in our midst and yet it's not yet fully here. God's justice has come through the person of Jesus and onto the person of Jesus and yet it's not yet been fully accomplished. Um, and the key verse for our purposes must be there, verse 22. He says this to his disciples, the days are coming, you're going to wish that the Son of Man were back with you, and yet he won't, won't be here. That, Jesus was foretelling, had not happened yet, but for us is a lived reality. We are living in the mysterious, strange, tension-filled time between Jesus' first coming in mercy and kindness and salvation to bring God's patient, enduring offer of peace to all people, and his second coming when, when the Bible tells us that he will come in vindication, in justice, to, to end the specific suffering that Christians must endure in this awkward middle period. And so the first response to why disciples suffer and the, the, the reason that Jesus said these things is that we are living in that strange and awkward middle time between the inauguration of Jesus' kingdom and the final uh, return of Jesus to consummate his kingdom, to finally restore God's will over all things for all time. The kingdom has come, and yet it is yet to come in its fullness. And here we are in this awkward middle period where God's justice has come, and yet it's not being fully, completely, finally applied. 
it's sort of an awkward time to be alive. Now, and it's a very awkward time to sort of be a Christian. I think of, uh, there was a time not too long ago when Katie and I finally, we, we bought our first house. And it was such an exciting time. I, I remember going, you know, where we went in and signed just so many pieces of paper. I don't even remember. They, it could have said anything at that point. But they finally said, okay, you own this house. And we said, great, when can we move in? They said, three months. <laughs> and I said, hold on, I just signed, I, I don't even know how much, how much money I'm paying you, but this is, I, I don't even get to live there yet? And they said, yeah, that's, that's how it works, okay? You bought it, but you, ha- you don't really own it yet. You don't actually get to live in it yet. And in some sense, that's, that's what we're experiencing now as Christians. We see Jesus is ruling and reigning. His justice may be delayed, but it's not, it's not not coming. And we get to, in some sense, own it and be part of it, even though it's not yet our full and lived reality. And so it's in the midst of that tension in particular that we suffer things as Christians that are not right, are not good. God would say are not right. They're not just. But in the midst of that, he calls them to do what? To take heart, to pray, and not lose heart. Second thing that we see is that uh, is, is there in the parable itself as far as why dis- disciples suffer. The second thing is in the parable itself. Jesus tells the story of a widow. In a certain city, there was a judge and there was a widow, the second character that emerges. And here's what Jesus wants to tell us. We are like the widow. It becomes clear as he, he continues to sort of explain the parable. We're going to get into that in a second. But what he wants us to see is that in some sense, in this in-between time, we will feel like and in some ways be like a widow. Now, why? I mean, there, there's so many ideas about, out there about what it means to sort of be a Christian in our current cultural moment. There's so many images that are sort of on offer. Christians should sort of be warriors or maybe healers or sort of chaplains to, a, to an, ailing, an ailing culture, maybe even adversaries. Um, but Jesus' image that he offers for us, this is the image he offers for us for this whole time between now, between his coming and his second coming, is the image of a widow. A widow. Why would he choose this image? Remember, this is a story Jesus made up to make a point. And so there's something of meaning there. Why a widow? It could have been, I don't know, anyone. It could have been just a normal person. I don't know. Just a, it could have been anyone. But he picked a widow. Why? Well, in the ancient society, widows had low social status. Without an advocate, a protector, uh, they were particularly vulnerable and needy, especially to occasions of injustice. And from the standpoint of, of cultural power, a widow was the last person that you would expect to go and, and darken the door of a judge who was, had high status in their society. The expectation would be that the husband would go, and yet the husband has died. Can you see how a Christian would resonate with that image? Jesus is preparing for them, and he says in chapter 17, there's a day coming when, when I'll die. I'm going to suffer and die, and you're going to feel culturally powerless and abandoned. And that seems to be Jesus' point. We are living in this in-between time, between Jesus' first coming in weakness and his second coming in judgment and power, and we should expect, and not be surprised, that we sometimes feel culturally marginalized, and estranged, and ostracized, and like weirdos. That, that's the normal experience for us. And as we look back at the last 2,000 years of Christian history, this has proven absolutely true. Absolutely true. Uh, when Christians 
when Christians hmm, study faithfully the whole Bible and they yearn to be followers of the whole Jesus, taking every part of who he is and what he says, not taking one part of Jesus and saying we like that part of Jesus but not this other part. We like this part of the Bible but not these chapters, this book but not that. But the whole Jesus, they have increasingly faced social and sometimes legal and financial interpersonal consequences. Hardships, injustices, there were jobs that they could not work. They said, I, I see how this field works. I see if you want to be successful, you've got to make these kind of decisions. And you have to use power in this certain way. And I follow a crucified Savior, and I just can't do it. There were places that they couldn't go. There were places where they said, Jesus doesn't, we, we can't use our bodies in this way. We can't, I can't be part of this. I can't be part of what's going on here. There were industries they couldn't take part in. There were jokes they couldn't laugh at in good faith before Jesus. Christians throughout the world, throughout time, have found themselves, the closer that they get to Jesus so often, the further they feel, the more, the more socially and politically homeless they, they tend to feel. Perhaps you have felt that as well. Feeling like there, is, there are places that they can go, many places they can go, but almost nowhere that they can go where they can bring the fullness of who they really are as a Christian. We have this in common, but I can't share my deepest self. I can't be my deepest self here without reservation, without hesitation, without fear. And here's, here's how one pastor in the ancient world counseled this, this, this very reality to his people. His name was Peter. He wrote in a letter called First Peter. <laughs> he said, Beloved, do not be surprised. Do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you. When it comes upon you. Not if it comes upon you, but when it comes upon you to test you. Listen to this. As though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice, this is counsel, rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. This is Peter's take on what Jesus is saying right here in Luke 18. Don't be surprised. Be surprised? This is just what he said would happen. You're going to feel like a widow. You're going to feel displaced. You're going to feel like a weirdo. But there's hope. <laughs> now, step one, if I, you're going to, step one, okay, has to be, in, if we're going to persist, if we're going to take heart, if we're going to be courageous in the midst of what Jesus promises will be difficult, we must first accept the mindset of the widow in this passage. Um, that's the first point we need to see. Disciples suffer because we follow this, this countercultural, otherworldly king. So we're never going to find a true place in this world. We're always going to feel like homeless outsiders, like weirdos, and that's okay. But, our main point, take heart. But take heart and pray because justice is coming. It is coming. Now, why, why do disciples lose heart? That's one of the things Jesus wants to teach us as well. Not only why disciples suffer, but why disciples tend to lose heart. Not the unfaithful, not the, but disciples in general. We tend to lose heart. We see an answer to that question in verses 2 through 5. In really the heart of this parable where Jesus actually lays it out for us. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city. Enter, enter the experience of the widow at this moment. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. She's not pushy. She's not rude. She's not arrogant. She's not asking, it says, she says, give me justice, not do me a favor, 
not, not give me something that everyone else isn't getting, not treat me specially. Look how patient she is. Look how, how prudent and kind she is. Give me justice against my adversary. She doesn't threaten him. She doesn't say, I will out you before the nation. She says, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Literally that word beat me down says, give me a black eye because of her continual coming. Can you imagine the utter frustration that this widow would have experienced coming time and time again? The law was on her side. She wasn't asking for special treatment. She, she didn't deserve her suffering. She didn't deserve this injustice. She was in the right. But apparently she, she refused to use unjust means to accomplish justice. She wasn't going to bribe the judge. She wasn't threatening him. Her option and her only option was to go to the judge time and time and time and time again and plea and plea and ask and request justice. Can you imagine the embarrassment she would have felt to come time and time again to the public, very public courts. This was in the village square, right? Only to be turned away time and time again. Notice how patient, notice how persistent. He's making a point to us with this widow. This is what we should expect, and this, in, in some measure, to some degree, is, is how he expects us to respond. But there's another character here, of course, the judge. The judge, and that's really Jesus' focus. And, uh, well, maybe the other, why would Jesus choose a widow? What is a widow? A, a widow is a bride whose husband has died. And what are his disciples about to experience? They're, they're the bride of Christ. That's what the New Testament says. But soon, their husband is going to die. We're, we're the widow. Okay, but there's a judge. There's a judge. And Jesus tells us a couple things about this judge. He's a bad guy. Verse 2. It says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And in almost comical fashion, he comes right back to that, and he, he puts those words right in the judge's mouth or at least in his head. Uh, he says in verse 4, For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, <laughs> it's almost funny when you think, he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, and I guess I'll give her justice. What, what Jesus is making clear is this is a judge who does not care about the justice that he is there to uphold. The very purpose for his existence is undermined by his attitude. Those two aspects, to fear God and to respect man, they sound a lot like Jesus' overall summary for the message of God's law, to love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. This judge has turned his back on both of those, neither fearing God nor respecting man. And so in Jesus' story, the widow, who is sort of our paradigm for suffering Christians in this age, is approaching a judge who should care about justice, who should be the paragon, the paradigm of justice, but actually doesn't care about it at all. File that away. The second thing we see in this judge actually do is he does give the widow justice. Okay. But why does he do it? Verses 4 and 5. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me. 
bothering me. I will give her justice because she keeps bothering me so that she won't beat me down by her continual coming. The only reason, the only reason that this judge finds to dispense justice to this lowly widow, seemingly on a whim, he realizes that it's actually in his own self-interest to dispense justice. If I want to avoid this annoyance, then the only solution is to actually do my job for once. He's not being fair or compassionate or just. He's being shrewd. Uh, the point that Jesus is drawing out with this example, this widow and now this judge, comes clear when we see the contrast that Jesus makes in verse 6. Hear what the unrighteous judge says. Jesus goes on. He shows that the unrighteous judge delays justice. Why does he delay justice? Because of his lack of concern, number one, for God's justice and for this widow, and because he only does things on a timeline that suits his own self-interest. Why, why bring out all these details in this passage? Why? Well, it's a parable. He's choosing them because he wants to instruct us. God is not like the unrighteous judge, obviously. He's something different entirely. So what, you could just say that. Couldn't Jesus just say, hey, by the way, God is not an unrighteous judge. He's a good judge, and he, he's the opposite of these three things. The reason Jesus includes this is not just to give us a negative example, a foil of what God is not like so that he can show us what God is like, but rather to demonstrate to us deep in our hearts, at the deepest level of our hearts, our tendency in the midst of suffering in particular, in the midst of suffering as Christians in particular, that we will tend to slowly, imperceptibly view God as if he is like this unrighteous judge. Listen carefully. When you suffer, not if, but if you will follow Jesus in the path of faithfulness and faithful discipleship, you will suffer. And when you suffer, as a Christian, your ability to persist in faithfulness, not losing heart, not stopping praying, not stopping hoping, will not be based on your personality type. It will not be based on your commitment level in general. It will not be based even on your circumstances, how bad things are getting. Rather, your ability to persist and not lose heart will be based on your understanding of the character of God. At a heart level, there is a one-to-one -one correlation between your ability to remain courageous in the face of suffering and your heart level, soul level view of God's trustworthiness. If you are confident in God's heart for you and in his character, his commitment to ultimate justice, his perfect timing, you will be able to face, by the power of his spirit, it will be hard, it will be tough, it will hurt, you will be able to face almost anything. History has borne that out. When we lose heart, when we do lose heart, here's how it goes wrong. According to Jesus in Luke 18, here's how it goes wrong. It's Monday morning. It's Monday morning and your supervisor makes just, an, just a little throwaway, offhanded comment to you to the, effect, to the effect that he's noticed that you're the only one who has not put the pride badge on their ID badge. It's Thursday evening, and just last week you were bold enough to ask your neighbor, uh, how could I pray for you, Bill? And, and Bill seemed a little miffed. Mills, Bill seemed a little weirded out and ended the conversation abruptly. Tonight you noticed that as Bill was walking his dog, he crossed the street when he saw you. 
and you had been praying about these very things for weeks. You had been laying them before the Lord, asking for a good outcome. You wanted, you had prayed for your workmates to extend their, their views of toleration to your own religious convictions. You had prayed for your neighbor to be open, open and receptive for you for deeper friendships so that you could offer hope. You had prayed, you had been on your face, you had been on your knees saying, Lord, help me to endure this well, help me. I know it's gonna cost me something. Lord, help me, help this go well. And now you're suffering. Will I lose my job? Will, will the neighborhood turn against me? Maybe I should just give up on, on sharing Jesus. I mean, maybe I can just sort of, can't I just kind of fudge on this one issue? I know it doesn't feel great, but do I really want to deal with this kind of daily pressure? Do I want to become the office pariah that no one wants to talk to? And if we're honest, and, and this is what Jesus says, where our hearts will tend to go, in that moment when we experience that particular kind of suffering as Christians, as we live out our identity in Christ, is we begin to think this. I'm doing my part here, God. I'm being faithful. I'm suffering. I'm in pain. And I've prayed. I've asked you to intercede, and I'm following the rules here. I deserve justice. And our tendency, according to Jesus, is that we imperceptibly slip from confidence to suspicion of God's character. The things that we begin to say in our soul without words, we would never say them out loud. We would still sign the, the statement of faith, yes, God is perfectly just, yes. And yet in our thoughts, in our hearts, we begin to think things like this. God, don't you care about justice? Don't you rule with justice over your world? Don't you see me? God, if you cared, you'd change my circumstances. And at its very worst, Jesus says it's, it's something like this. God, God must be like this self-concerned judge who's supposed to care about justice but never acts unless it's in his own self-interest. And apparently my concern hasn't re- risen to the level of his consciousness. Remember, Jesus is not saying this to anyone. He's saying it to his disciples. He's saying it to us. Those who have already suffered with him. And if it was a problem for them then, it's, it's, it's a universal problem for us now. And so here, here's what we must first hear. Christian, guard your heart. Guard your heart. Not, and that's what this passage is talking about in Proverbs, guard your heart for from it is the wellsprings of life. It's not a guarding from the outside influences that might get in and poison it, but guard your heart within. Guard your heart from your own self. There is, there is resistance in the world to become uh, to our mission, to become whole disciples ourselves who help others make whole disciples. There is resistance. You will need help. You will need help. You will absolutely need help. And as you find yourself increasingly feeling like a weirdo out there, you must, must, must find people who will remind you of these truths. You absolutely must. Take a moment of honest reflection to diagnose your own soul. This is what I ask myself. If I believed God was perfectly just, that his timing was perfect, and that his heart was completely for me, how would my life look different right now? Are there challenges that I'm turning away from because I'm worried about what will happen to me? Is it possible that discouragement in the Christian life, discouragement from those around you, has led you to compromise in little ways? 
that feel little, to take the edges off of your convictions, to cover up your identity, to be someone slightly different, to avoid becoming a cultural weirdo? Is it possible that your hesitations toward evangelism don't have so much to do with lack of knowledge, but with lack of confidence in God's character? In truth, everyone, everyone, me first, needs the message and the heart of this persistent widow because we all tend to lose heart. We all tend to lose heart in our efforts to live faithfully before God and man. But this isn't, praise God, this is not a parable primarily about our broken hearts. This is a passage primarily about God's perfect heart. And that's what he wants to teach us next. Disciples, we tend to lose heart because we forget God's character. But, Parkview Church, take heart and pray because God's justice is coming. Now, we've seen why disciples suffer. We've seen why we tend to lose heart. And now we can learn why disciples can persist. Can persist. We see this in Jesus' explanation of his story. Verses 6 through 8 says this. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to elect? Or, or better, but will not God give justice to his elect? Who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Jesus gives us two questions and a statement to explain that we can have confidence in God's character so that we can take heart and not give up. Two questions and a statement he gives us. First, will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Answer, yes. <laughs> yes, God will, will give justice to elect, his elect who cry to him day and night. God is not, Jesus says, God is not like the unrighteous judge. Rather, he, he has not turned his back and said, I'm, I'm not as concerned about the justice that I that I say I am. He is. He is not an unrighteous judge. Rather, his law is not separate from him, but it's his own will. His law is his own will, and he always acts in accordance with justice. God has never acted out of accord with justice. We can take heart and persist because God's character is unchangeably just. God has not and will not stop caring about the injustice that you have experienced and that you will experience in the Christian life. Never. Will he delay long over them? This is the real story of the judge. Uh, the only way he could be found to, to actually give them justice is when it suited his own preferences, his own timing, his own self-interest. Will he delay long over them? Answer, no. He will not delay long over them. I tell you, Jesus says, I will give justice to them speedily speedily take heart in this Christian brother or sister. This is God's perspective on the injustice he has called you to experience in the past and right now in the future. Here's how God sees it. He will not let it go on a moment longer than absolutely necessary. Not a second, not a microsecond longer than absolutely necessary. Uh, we have uh, begun brushing our one-year-old's teeth. I don't know if you've uh, attempted this feat. Um, my little Silas absolutely hates it. 
Uh, it's probably his least favorite thing that happens, uh, and it happens every single day, twice a day, um, at, to the point where we're almost having to just hold him down and just, you have to experience this. He hates it so much, and I'm sure in those moments, he, he doesn't understand dental hygiene. <laughs> he doesn't understand what will happen if we just let him go according to his preferences in that moment. He thinks I'm attacking him. He, th <laughs> he thinks I hate him. He's wrong. I'll tell you what, the second that I feel good about how clean his teeth are, I stop. I, I, every part of me in that moment wants it to end. I, I wish I could leave his teeth uncleaned in a way because I'm so burdened for the pain that he's experiencing in that moment, the distress, the confusion that he's experiencing in that moment as he wonders, what is my dad doing to me? One day, he will know it was for his good. Now let's go back for a moment to that first question. Will not God give justice to his elect? What, why use that word, to his elect? It's a word the Bible uses often. It refers to God's choice, God's choosing us, God's reaching out to us so that we would become disciples of Jesus, to have faith in Christ. We are his chosen. Will not God give justice to his elect? This makes us wonder, of course, how can we live? How can we survive without being confident in God's justice? And yet, if we understand the story of the Bible, we understand that we, no matter who we are, even as Christians, we have stood on the wrong side of God's justice. We must ask ourselves, what can we do without God's justice? Who can stand without God's justice? And yet, on the other hand, we realize more than anyone, who can stand in the midst of God's justice when we have done the things that we all know we have done? The truth is we, we stand on the wrong side. If God were to give us what we really deserve, we would be condemned. We would find ourselves on the wrong side of God justice. We would not find favor and blessing and a good judgment and justice. We would experience all the pain that our broken hearts and hands deserve. But in Jesus Christ, God has already poured out divine justice for us for our sins, on the person of Jesus. So now, when we come to God in prayer, as this passage calls us to do, he receives us, not as a generic person, not as a generic anything, uh, he receives us as if we were as just and, and as if we would deserve and receive the blessing that Jesus' persistence deserves rather than the condemnation and rejection that our persistence deserves. We can have ultimate confidence, not only in the character of God in general, but in the character of God toward us. Because when we come before the just judge of the universe, we can be confident because of the blood of Jesus that he will regard us not according to our sins, but according to Jesus' perfect life. This, Parkview Church, in the midst of suffering, will allow us to endure. One day, God's ultimate justice will come. And Jesus says it's coming speedily. It's coming rapidly. It's coming at his exact time. Jesus will not be a meek and lowly carpenter. He will be a terrifying warrior, judge, and king. And once and for all, God's will will set right every wrong on earth, restore his creation and his people to the beauty and glory that God created in the beginning. And we wait for it with eagerness. And why, why does God delay? Why does God not give it to, it, to us immediately? Why does not God not send the Son back into the earth to establish that justice right now? The Bible tells us 
in 2 Peter 3, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Why is God delaying? Well, apart from that delay, none of us would be here. God is delaying for your neighbors. God is delaying for your coworkers. The Lord's patience to our coworkers, to our neighbors, is to be measured by our faithful discipleship of Christ to make disciples of our neighbors for you, for me, for, for your friends. Let's honor Jesus' sacrifice by taking heart, by moving forward in faithfulness, by spreading the effect of God's patient, justifying blood as broadly as possible. That's why Jesus leaves us with this question. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? God is working through the power of his Spirit to make that answer yes. Will we do our part to join him? And that's where he ends. Let's take heart and pray, because God's justice is coming. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this parable. Thank you that you sent Jesus to earth to demonstrate to us that you are a trustworthy, sound, loving even, judge. We need this parable. We need every one of us to take heart. We need gospel courage. We need courage that does not come from worldly confidence, according to worldly power, according to our capabilities, according to our organization, according to our power and strength, we do not, we reject the hope that can only rest on earth, in earthly transient things that will pass away. We want to rest our courage on your very character, on your heart. Don't let us settle for anything less. And fill us, fill us with your spirit. The spirit, the same spirit that filled you with courage and valor and might to endure the greatest suffering of all so that we could experience justice before your throne in your name. Give us the spirit of gentleness and persistence, the spirit of hope for our friends and neighbors so that if you should delay returning, we would take it as our signal to push forward into suffering through it, knowing that you will never waste, never, ever waste the precious grief of your chosen people. Do all this, we pray, for the glory of King Jesus. Amen.